want to say a, a special word of welcome uh, and introduction. Uh, our friend Erwin Entz is here with us this weekend. Uh, I want to tell you a few things about him and, and then let you know why we asked him to come here this weekend. Um, so uh, those of you who are engineers will appreciate the fact that Erwin uh, has a background in engineering, uh, spent the early part of his career uh, helping helping deliver communications that save lives. Mm. And uh, now he's doing that in a different way, right, as a pastor. Um, and um, he is uh, on the pastoral team of a network of churches in Washington, D.C., called Grace D.C. Uh, some of us have been uh, part of Grace D.C. during uh, temporary assignments in Washington and uh, well cared for. So thanks to that network for taking care of Steve when he was in D.C. some last year. Uh, one of Irwin's roles there is uh, as the director of the Institute for Cross-Cultural Mission that is sponsored by Grace DC. And I had the privilege of going up this fall and spending some time uh, with Irwin in that capacity as InTown tries to learn what is, what is Lord Jesus doing uh, here in our congregation, across our denomination, and around the world in terms of making us an Ephesians 2 kind of church where no one feels foreign, no one feels like a stranger, everyone knows that we are all children of the same Heavenly Father. Uh, so Irwin uh, has a wide variety of experiences that qualify him for that kind of ministry and leadership. He's currently serving as the moderator of the General Assembly of our denomination, uh, was elected to that role when we met here in Atlanta last year having opportunity to sit with him and learn from him in his office, to sit under his leadership at the General Assembly last year was a real privilege. And it brings me to the reason why we've asked Irwin to come be with us this weekend. It's because we think that knowing this man better will help you know Jesus better. Mm. At the end of the day, that's the only reason we ought to invite anyone to teach us here at InTown is because we believe that the Lord Jesus has impacted this man's life, uh, changed it in powerful ways, and knowing more about how Christ has worked in Erwin's life will uh, help us to be ready for Christ to work in our lives. So uh, we're really grateful to have this brother with us. One last word of introduction. If you like what you hear tonight, you can hear more tomorrow morning. At 9.30, we'll gather here in the sanctuary to hear Erwin teach again. He'll uh, preach for us during our worship service tomorrow. And if that's not enough, Erwin is a contributor to a couple of books that I'll call your attention to. One called Heal Us, Emmanuel. Um, some of my favorite people mm -hmm. have written chapters in this book. Erwin is one of those. And then another book called All Are Welcome. So Erwin is a father, husband, pastor, leader, servant author as well. So, brother, I want to invite you to come and teach us, lead us. We're so thankful to have you here. Can somebody take a picture of that? Because for a second, I felt taller than Erwin. <laughs> oh, good evening uh, in town, church. Okay, let me try that again. Good evening. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's a joy, really, um, to be with you all 
this, um, this weekend uh, just to kind of share with you. I had a great time with uh, your pastor in the fall when he came up to D.C. and we spent the better part of a day uh, together and launched this, uh, this opportunity. Would you we kind of get started? Can we pray first? Let's do that. Could you bow your heads and pray with me? Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name belongs all of the glory. And we give you praise tonight for the great privilege of being here in this place, of being your children, of being united to you through faith in Jesus Christ, and by that same faith being united together as one people. We pray that you would bless our time this weekend. Lord, that you would use me as you see fit, and that even as our brother, Pastor Jimmy, said, that we would learn more of Jesus and grow in our love for him through our time together. Make it sweet, make it edifying, make it full of grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so the theme for this, uh, this weekend is the beautiful community, unity and diversity uh, in Christ. And um, I want to tell you, start off by telling you just a little bit about myself in this. Um, I shared this with a group of folks this morning. Uh, from here, we got to have coffee and conversation. But I have a, a core conviction. I'll give you my core conviction. This, this developed when I was uh, in, in seminary. I got the language for this core conviction when I was in seminary. And, and this is what drives me in ministry, and it is this that the ministry of reconciliation as demonstrated in the local church by the gathering of people from diverse backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities is the natural outworking of a rich covenantal theological commitment. That is, if we are committed to the word of God and how God uh, um, gives us the story of, of redemption in the Bible, then the pursuit of the ministry of, the, of reconciliation in the local church, by the gathering of, uh, of people from ba different backgrounds and cultures and ethnicities will be the natural outworking of that commitment. It won't be something that's like a tangent to, uh, to the gospel. It's what we will commit to. Now, this is a personal conviction of mine. Uh, again, I say I, I developed this language as I was wrestling with my ministry passion while I was a student at Reformed Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. And, and, it, and it came about, it's, it's often the case that the Lord will use our story in uh, developing or at least giving us what we're passionate about in ministry as, as followers of Jesus. And for me, I grew up in the church in Brooklyn, New York. I grew up in the United Methodist Church. And, uh, and I rejected the faith um, passively during my high school years. As I say, um, football was more important to me than Jesus. And so um, uh, by the time I got to college, I uh, began studying electrical engineering at City College of New York, which is in Harlem, part of the City University system. Um, that became an active rejection of Christianity. I, uh, I became very racialized in my worldview, very 
developed a very black nationalistic worldview, uh, joined a group on campus there called the Sons of Africa. Um, and so, uh, to me, in that, on, during those years, um, a Christianity uh, was, not, was not useful for people of African descent. Uh, as a matter of fact, it, in my view, it was used to, uh, to oppress people of African descent. And so, um, I won't, you know, I've got, I can take the whole hour in this story, but I won't do that because I did come to faith in Jesus, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the Lord did that uh, when we, we moved to the D.C. metropolitan area and started attending, my wife and I, a historic African-American church in the nation's capital. And, um, and that's when, the, you know, now we started going to that church, not because either of us were interested in being Christians, but my wife had some family members who attended that church, and we didn't know anybody in the area. And so I said, okay, well, that's a good way to meet some decent people. So we'll go from time to time. And, you know, if you start actually going to church, attending young adult Bible study, right, the Lord might actually do something, right? And that's what happened. Uh, and both my wife and I made a profession of faith. And then my eyes are open. And what happens, is, what happened at least to me is there's this, right, this revelation, oh, those who are my my family, my eternal family, are those who I'm united to through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm still an African-American man, um, but what makes the most difference uh, is faith in Jesus Christ. And so, um, but then I said, well, wait a second. Like, I go to church and everybody's black. And the church over there, everybody's white. Church over there, everybody's Asian, Latino, like we... Wait a second, I'm looking at this in the scriptures. I'm seeing Christ breaking down, has broken down the dividing wall of hostility in his body. I'm seeing this language of reconciliation in the body, but I don't see it lived out in the context of the church here in America. And so that for me became, and there are, right, there are clearly reasons, historical reasons for these divides, uh, particularly here in the United States, but uh, that became for me what um, Dr. King uh, called a divine dissatisfaction. Like, what do you see in the church or in the culture and society that doesn't align with the heart of God, with the word of God, and God gives you this sense of a divine dissatisfaction about it, and you have to press into it. And that, that for me became uh, this uh, really lived out um, application of the ministry uh, of reconciliation. And so, and so that's, that's what I live to, 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 uh, uh, to proclaim whenever the Lord gives me opportunity. And so that's what I'm going to share with you all uh, this weekend. And so in this, uh, these times together, three things we're going to talk about in the beautiful community, unity and diversity in Christ. We're going to talk about the God that we image. We're going to talk about the image of God. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about beautiful community. And so the God we image is the topic for this first session. We'll have our, our break for dinner, five-ish, right? I, there's somebody talked about in-town time, right? Uh, <laughs> 
and then we'll return after, after we eat, right, and have, and all the blood rushes from our brains to digest. We'll talk about, uh, you'll, you'll have to promise to stay awake. We'll talk about uh, the image of God, uh, the image of God in us, and so, or even us as the image of God. And then the primary emphasis tomorrow morning is going to be on what I call a beautiful community. Really, we're going to talk a lot about uh, beauty uh, this weekend, and that's how um, we're going to start. Here's it, here it is, the, the, the God that we image. Right? Who is this God that we image? And I, I have, over the past couple of years, really um, been reflecting on the concept of beauty. Um, and this is, a, you know, I really don't know why that is, uh, but as someone who is a, uh, an engineer, for my profession, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of um, time. I don't have that kind of creative arts mind uh, that uh, performers have, those who are able to write beautiful poetry and, uh, and music and, and, and paint beautiful um, uh, portraits and, uh, and pictures. But I've been just, God has just kind of captured me in the past couple of years on the reality of the fact that he's beautiful. Like the God we image is beautiful. And what do we, what do I mean by that? What is, what is beauty? Now, why do I have a picture here of uh, some camels when talking about beauty? Uh, that's because there was, um, a year ago, there was a huge scandal in Saudi Arabia. This picture comes from Saudi Arabia. It's a huge scandal. And the scandal was, that, uh, was over the disqualification of a dozen camels from the camel beauty contest there that they held at the beginning of the year. Um, they found that, uh, that uh, a doctor, a veterinary doctor, had injected um, uh, a number of these camels with Botox to make them appear more uh, attractive. And so uh, it said in the article, um, the clinic was surgically, in addition to the injections, reducing the size of the animal's ears to make them appear more delicate. They used Botox for the lips, the nose, and the upper lips, and the lower lips, and even the jaw. It makes the head more inflated so that when the camel comes, it's like, oh, look at how big that head is. It has big lips, a big nose. And so, and so well, obviously the camels didn't go themselves, right, for this, uh, this procedure. But, um, you know, this is big money. At these contests, there were up to $57 million in prizes awarded at these, at these pageants. And so, you know, we're not likely to... Um, to run across any beauty camel beauty contest here in the good old U.S. of A. But we do know what it's like to commodify beauty. We do know what it's like to parade people uh, across a stage and uh, make a value judgment on them based on their aesthetic of appearance and, uh, and to determine whether or not they, are, they, they meet a standard of beauty that we have in our own minds. So we do know what it's like to, to commodify beauty. And so what really is 
beauty. Um, I want to say there are three things I'll get to eventually <laughs> after this slide that, that really do characterize uh, beauty. Uh, beauty, as it stands, is an attribute of God, but I think it's one that's beneficial for us to dive into and to study as we consider God's nature and the nature of the humanity that images him. Because spoiler alert, we're going to be talking eventually about beautiful community. And when we do that, we're talking about us, right? But we're starting with the God who is beautiful. And so how should we define or describe beauty? Is it simply a subjective thing? You know it when you see it. Is it that beauty is simply in the eye of the beholder? What do we mean when we sing that hymn in the church? We are marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. We are marching upwards to Zion, the beautiful city of God. What do we mean when we sing that uh, in the church? I am taking this from... Um, really, I think it originates in um, St. Thomas Aquinas. We talked about beauty and these three aspects of beauty, but um, kind of updated by, um, uh, by a professor and theologian named Stephen Guthrie uh, in a book that he wrote a few years ago uh, titled uh, Creator Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the Art of Becoming Human. And he talked about these three categories that he, he updated from Thomas Aquinas in terms of defining beauty. Three Ps are perfection, proportion, and pleasure. Perfection, proportion, and pleasure. Uh, this first aspect, this first P, Stephen Guthrie writes in his book, to hope for the kingdom of God in its fullness is to hope for beauty. The psalmist says in Psalm 50 at the beginning, verses out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Guthrie writes again, when we talk about this aspect of beauty and perfection, I think he rightly says this is a, a perfection that has, there's a mystery here. It's a perfection that has to be able to accommodate scars. I mean, um, it, the, when we talk about perfection and beauty, it's not, you know, like the, the cover of the fashion magazine where you've airbrushed over all of the things that, um, uh, that, that, that indicate some sort of imperfection or blemish. There's a mystery when it comes to perfection. What do I mean? Because... Um, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself. I probably have this in the next bullet, but I'm going to say it now anyway. Because uh, the object, the primary object of our beauty is Jesus Christ. And Jesus, those, as we sing in the hymn, those scars, those wounds yet visible above are in beauty glorified. That, that Jesus in his resurrected glorious ascended body at the right hand of the majesty on high still bears the marks of crucifixion. He still bears the wounds in his hands and his, and his feet, and yet he is beautiful. 
And so in this mystery of beauty it's, of, and perfection, it's one that can accommodate scars. And then the second P is a proportion. What do we mean uh, by that? Esther Lightcap Meek, she is, uh, she's a philosophy professor. She wrote a book uh, on love, <laughs> Loving to Know. She's a, she's a Christian, and, and she says, talks about the new creation, new heavens and the new earth. And she says the new creation will be beautiful because there will be harmony and right relationship between God and humanity, among humanity, among all that God has made. Each thing will be most truly what it is, and what is more and amazing, the utterly distinct character of each being will contribute to the beauty of the whole. This idea of proportion, of right ordering, of of harmony, of things functioning the way they ought to be. There's a biblical word for that, shalom, of, of wholeness, of everything being the way it ought to be, uh, is, a, is a characteristic of beauty. And this idea, uh, this reality of proportion and right ordering and harmony is true of God first. And then the third P is pleasure. Simply put, uh, beauty delights. Uh, when we think about beauty, it, it brings delight. Um, Esther Lightcap Meek, again, I love what she says. Rather than drawing the beautiful object into the orbit of my concerns, I am the one that's drawn in. She's talking about beauty when it comes to art. She says the work captures rather than serves my interests. And how true of that is that of God? That Rather than um, um, me drawing him into the object as the object of my concerns, we're the one that's drawn in. When we're captured and captivated by God, he's the one who, who draws us in to see his glory and his majesty and to, and to worship him. That, that, that he's not serving our interests, we are serving his interests. Um, and we are delighted in that. There's so much, right? The Bible talks about the joy of the Lord being our strength. So much, right? We are people of joy because we're being captivated and captured by our beautiful God. Meek again says to submit to something is to acknowledge its weightier presence, to treat its presence as weighty. We find ourselves in the presence of something which has already won our respect, which has already changed us. When you're in seminary and you've got to study Hebrew, you learn uh, the word that's translated in the Old Testament for glory is the Hebrew word kavod. And the root of that word means uh, substantive, weighty. It, it's the idea that, that this Whatever this thing is is, um, is, 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 is weighty and has, and has substance. And so right when the Hebrew mind wanted to say, well, what, when we want to talk about the glory and the grandeur of God, we want to talk about his weightiness, his substantiveness. And so this is a reality of beauty and delight, and it changes us. Jonathan King, uh, in, a, in a recent work on beauty, 
says, indeed, what uniquely characterizes the quality of beauty is its effect of evoking pleasure or delight in the act of perceiving it. Pleasure and delight is provoked in the act of perceiving beauty. It's a gracious, naturally alluring, self-giving presence, writes Meek. And here's, here's the deal. Um, this story of perfection and proportion and pleasure, this story of beauty really um, is also about uh, the bringing of order out of chaos. Uh, It's the story of Genesis 1 in the Bible, the creation story, this grand narrative of the defeat of the formlessness of chaos. Genesis chapter 1 the story of creation is that very story. I show in this, uh, this chart here, I won't go into all of the, the details and a rendition of Genesis chapter 1, but the problem was spoken in the opening verse that the earth was without form and void. And the story is of God forming and filling, forming and filling Darkness was over uh, the surface of the deep. And so day one, God says, let there be light. He forms the light. In the parallel day, day number four, he fills what he's formed, the sun and the moon. The sun to govern the day and the moon, the light to govern the night, forming and filling. Day two, God creates the firmament and the sky uh, and the seas and separating the waters above from the waters below. Day five, he fills what he has formed by filling the inhabitants of the skies, the birds and the inhabitants of the seas, the, the fish and the sea creatures. Day three, God forms the, the, the dry land and the vegetation. And day six, he, he fills what he's formed with the land animals and then the capstone of a creation of humanity. And so this narrative of, of uh, bringing order out of chaos is the story of beauty. And there's one other aspect of it that I want to, um, that I want to highlight here when we talk about beauty. And again, we're still focused on the beauty of God. Uh, anybody watch the show, The Man in the High Castle? Look, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Okay, we got a few. We got a few, right? So you'll recognize this face. I don't know if you've seen season three yet, so I'm, I apologize if I'm spoiling for you with this clip. Uh, but right, this, the, the story in this, uh, this show on Amazon Prime, The Man in the High Castle, is really, right, what, what would particularly the United States, be like if the Allied forces had lost World War II, right? Uh, if, the, if the Germans and the Japanese had won. And so uh, America is divided into, uh, it's split in half. The, the eastern part is controlled uh, by, uh, by the Nazis, uh, the western states, the Pacific states, are controlled by Japan. There's this neutral zone in the middle. 
And so you might imagine, particularly if you are Jewish, living in America at that time, it's a very harrowing experience for you, really, if you have any <laughs> faith at all. Uh, and so this guy is, uh, is Jewish, and he is uh, part of the resistance, um, you know, because people always fight back against oppression. Right? He's a part of the resistance, and this is a scene where um, he is about to be executed. Don't worry, you won't see the execution. Um, and I want you to just kind of listen to what's on his mind um, and his heart in this last few moments of his life. And he's being, um, he's, he's speaking to uh, a Japanese officer who is going to be the one who executes this judgment on him. So you are not afraid of death? No. No, not anymore. You? Only a death without honor. Honor. Out of weakness, I let you go. That was my mistake. Yeah, I stopped it there because <laughs> it's about to get gruesome. Right, what is, what is he reciting there? The Shema, right? The Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, right? Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Uh, this confession of the people of God from the earliest days uh, even till now in 
the new covenant people of God. The Lord our God, uh, the Lord is one, and we'll be able to come back to this a little bit later tomorrow morning uh, and see how this is still our confession and how it still plays a role in how we think about life as the people of God. But this aspect of the, the oneness of God right, is, is not simply, it is at least a declaration of monotheism, but it's more than simply just a declaration of, of monotheism. Um, it is this engagement of, the, of, of what theologians have called the simplicity of God. Uh, there's another aspect of beauty which is uh, simplicity that runs throughout perfection and proportion and pleasure. That doesn't mean this kind of um, a lack of, uh, of any complexity. When, I, when we talk about the simplicity of God, here's how I think, you know, there's a, if you just Google um, the simple life or simple living today, you'll get a whole, all these um, all these hits and websites on how, how there's a whole movement to simplify your life, right? Our, our houses are too cluttered, our lives are too cluttered, and we just got to, you know, we just got to get down to the kind of bare essentials, and you will enjoy life that much more. Um, I like to think about the simplicity of God in this way. Like, that, like God doesn't need to do any decluttering. That all that he is is necessary for who he is. He has no excess baggage. All of his attributes are necessary for him to be God. You remove any attribute, um, uh, then he's no longer God. And so there's a reality that, that every aspect of who God is is necessary uh, for who he is. And so um, I want to... Oh, good. Didn't hit it. Uh, I want to play this. Sometimes we learn. I told you, I don't have like the creative arts mind, but God is gracious to us. And so my, um, we have four children. My second son, uh, who's 22, is a musician, and um, and he. This is his project. Uh, he just graduated from Covenant College, uh, May of 18, uh, and this is his project that he did when he was a sophomore, songs that he wrote and, and produced. Uh, the name of the, uh, of, the, of the project is called I Heard God Laughing. And this is a poem he wrote called, called the, the Beloved's Intro. So it's, um, so he's, you know, through this is kind of teaching me <laughs> or has taught me. And I love what he says in this, in this piece. Um, I'm just going to share it with you. I will... The words are going to be up on the screen, but they're probably going to be too small for you to read. So, uh, but just kind of take a listen to what he says here in this piece. The sky tonight has a certain elegance to her. The second great light has provided a unique kind of brightness one through which seems to have God intentionally reaching out to his lovers. As I look up, clouds suspended in perfect bliss part, and the light appears to have centered on me. The beauty of God's masterpiece had me paralyzed. It's almost as if the beloved was saying, stop and look. There was so much beauty to be found in simplicity. 
I thought for a moment and replied, my dear friend, as always, you are right. There is enough beauty in this one night to keep me infatuated until I meet you face to face. I could feel God crack a smile. And for a while longer, I pondered. Then I proceeded to ask, why can't life be this beautiful? Why can't life be this simple? He simply responded, Nabil, never cease to drown yourself in my love. Yeah, this one's for the beloved. The beloved. The beloved. Yes. Sorry to cut it short, but <laughs> it's a good song. <laughs> This is my 19-year-old son teaching me about beauty uh, and simplicity. Stop and look, he said. There's so much beauty to be found in simplicity. The beauty of God's masterpiece, he said, had him paralyzed. Never stop to drown yourself in my love. Yes, and he asked, why can't life be this beautiful? Why can't life be this simple? And so... The reality is, this is Scott Red. Scott Red is the president of the D.C. campus of RTS. He said, biblical simplicity springs from the heart of the lover of a simple God. In the logical flow of the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, goes something like this. God's character is whole, pure, full, rich, and simple Love. Another theologian, older, now dead theologian, uh, Herman Bavink, says all that God is, he is of himself. By virtue of himself, he's goodness, holiness, wisdom, life, light, truth, and so on. His whole identity was wrapped up in the name, I will be what I will be. All God's other perfections are derived from this name. He is supreme in everything, supreme being, supreme goodness, supreme truth, supreme beauty. He's the perfect, highest, the most excellent being than whom nothing better can exist or be thought. And what I want to say to us um, in this, all this beauty and simplicity is because, again, we are we're headed toward talking about beautiful community and that, that really and truly we see the beauty and simplicity of God in his triune life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A couple of a couple more quotes here. All the attributes of God, as well as all of his other attributes, come alive and become real as a result of the Trinity. Apart from it, they're mere names, sounds, empty terms. All the as the attributes of the triune God, they come alive both to our mind and to our heart only by the Trinity do we begin to understand that God as he is in himself, hence also apart from the world, is the independent, eternal, 
omniscient and all benevolent one, love, holiness, and glory. The Trinity reveals God to us as the fullness of being, the true life, eternal beauty. Uh, this thing I want to emphasize is from that Herman Bobbing, the Dutch Reformed theologian that I quoted from earlier, where he talks about the unity and diversity in God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He says, in God, too, there is unity in diversity. Right? The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. Yet there's one God, eternally existent in three persons. And he says, in, in the case of creatures being us, we see only a faint analogy of this unity. He says, among us, unity exists, but that's really only by attraction, by the will and the disposition of the will. I like to think about it this way. He says, this is a, a, a moral unity that's fragile and unstable. Right? You can get people to be unified for a cause, but it never seems as though those things are, are permanent. Right? You can get, you know, I don't know who's going to win the Super Bowl this year. Right? But whoever it is, that team will talk about how they were set their minds on the one goal and we were all together on this goal for the whole season. Right? One goal in mind, together for this purpose. Right? But the reality is that's a fragile unity. Right? As soon as the championship is over, they go their separate ways. Right? And so the reality is he says, um, in God, both are present, absolute unity as well as absolute diversity. The, the most perfect kind of community, Bob Inc. writes, a community of the same beings. As, as, at the same time, it results in the most perfect diversity, a diversity of divine persons that we see beauty in the communal community life of the God that we worship, the beautiful community of the Godhead. Testimony throughout the scriptures is that God is one. <laughs> At the same time, without contradiction, the scriptures present the mystery of the three persons who are God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? We heard the Shema already, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. We see this in the Gospels at the baptism of Jesus. This passage from Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus is baptized, immediately he went up from the water Matthew says, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Peter the Apostle Peter puts it this way in the opening verses of his first epistle. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, and grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter says that those, he's writing to the people of God, elect exiles, he says, throughout the dispersion. And they are this way according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And, he says, in the sanctification of God the Holy Spirit. And for obedience to Jesus Christ. Through sprinkling with his blood. My um, former pastor at, at the first church I came to faith in, in uh, Washington, D.C., he used, to, uh, he used to say pretty regularly to us as Christians, he's like, man, how are we going to lose with the stuff we use, <laughs> right? Like, do you know who we have <laughs> on our side? And do you know whose side we're on? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There are so many passages that, that, speak, to, that speak to this in terms of um, uh, the, the importance of the doctrine of, of the Trinity. And Paul in, uh, in Romans chapter 8 uh, that we become familiar with um, where, where the apostle says, right, all things work together for good for the, to those who are called, right? Um, but, right he's, Paul says, look, we don't know how to pray as we ought. Well, he says, listen, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. And you notice in that passage, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. It's singular, our weakness. <laughs> when it comes particularly to prayer, we're weak. He says the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God. And so he helps us in our weakness. That's an internal. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit who on the inside helps us in our weakness. Who, Paul says, is interceding for us with groanings that are too deep for words, Paul says. And then he talks about, right, who is, who's going to condemn us, right? right? And then he says this, Jesus Christ, right, is at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? Paul says, it's the same chapter of Romans, interceding for us. <laughs> so we got the Spirit on the inside interceding for us. We've got the Son of God, Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Spirit of God knows the mind of the Father. The Jesus, the Son of God, has the ear of the Father. And so God... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as far, and I'm, I really am getting ahead of myself because I know I'm going to say this in my sermon tomorrow, but, <laughs> but far from being this dry doctrine that we just kind of uh, espouse, the doctrine of the Trinity, it is the heartbeat of Christianity, that the God that we worship is beautiful community. And, and has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, 
the beauty and the glory of our triune God is seen in his mutual glorification and communal life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a couple of quotes. Uh, this is another one of my favorite theologians, John Frame, who's not dead, he's still alive. He writes this in his book on the doctrine of God. He says, the concurrence of the three persons of the Trinity and all that they do is a profound indication of their unity. There's no conflict in the Trinity. The three persons are perfectly agreed on what they should do and how their plan should be executed. They support one another, assist one another, and promote one another's purposes. This intra-Trinitarian deference, this disposability of each to the others may be called mutual glorification. Can you get a hint of where we're going to be going eventually when we talk about beautiful community? That's what he says about the God that we image, our beautiful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? They, the, uh, in all that they do, right, that there's a profound indication of their unity. There's no conflict in the Trinity. Jesus comes, Jesus says, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I will not leave you as orphans, right? uh, but I will send the, the paraclete, the advocate, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will lead you into truth. The this, this Father and the Son send the Spirit. Right? The, the Son says, I came to do the will of my Father. Jesus cries out in the Garden of Gethsemane, Oh, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. They are perfectly agreed on what they should do and how their plan should be executed. They support one another. They love one another. They assist one another. They promote one another's purposes. And here's the deal. You know, spoiler alert. This is where we're headed. This is where humanity is headed. This is the reality. This is what beautiful community will look like as those who image God who is beautiful community. And so act like you don't know what I'm going to say when I get to that tomorrow. <laughs> this mutual glorification in the Godhead. Esther Lightcap Meek says, she says, she's talking about a sense of personal beauty in this, like what will it take for, she's talking about it on a human level, what will it take for, for me as an individual, for you as an individual to have a sense that, that we're beautiful, uh, that we have a sense of personal beauty. And she says, a sense of beauty comes, I believe, only in the generous, self-giving gaze, the noticing regard 
of another person. And I think about this in, in also in terms of the God that we worship, this generous, uh, self-giving gaze, this noticing regard, the Father, Son, and Spirit supporting one another, noticing one another, being on the same page, has all the aspects of beauty. Uh, Meek again says a sense, uh, beauty says all will be well. It speaks of a wholeness within that blesses the surrounding people and environs with the same privilege. And this unity has all the marks of beauty, perfection, proportion, um, and pleasure. And I'm going to, I'm five minutes early, so that's great. I'm going to wrap this up by saying this as I, as we transition, we're going to be getting, we're going to talk about um, the image of God um, uh, in, in the next session. But uh, Elaine Scarry has a small little book called On Beauty and Being Just. And uh, it's just a profound little statement. She just says, beauty brings copies of itself into being. Beauty brings copies of itself into being. It, when you see something that's beautiful, we innately want to copy it. <laughs> we, we innately want to see it replicated and reproduced. And we think about that with God. Beauty brings copies of itself into being. To that statement from uh, Meek that says, Beauty speaks of a whole, wholeness within, a wholeness within, that blesses surrounding people and environs with the same privilege. It, it's, right, uh, it, it longs to get out. <laughs> it longs to be shared. It longs to be uh, reproduced. And that's exactly what God did in, in making us. All right, I will, I will wrap up there. I don't know if uh, you can give me, if we want to do any interaction and Q&A, we can do some of that. I'm, I'm open to it. This first, um, this first session was really, as you could tell, was really about laying a foundation for who God is. What does it mean for us to belong to God? What does it mean for us to worship God? What does it mean for us to be the image of God? And so uh, we'll take a couple of minutes here and have um, some interaction if y'all would like. So uh, could we take a couple of questions before we break and, and uh, have uh, some, some food together? So I wonder if someone has a question that they'd like to uh, uh, hear Erwin respond to. Yeah? Yes. Yes. Yes, right. So... The question is, right, that's from um, Exodus 3, uh, in, the, in the quote that I use, it is, right, when Moses is hemming and hawing about going back to Egypt, um, and he says, who shall I say sent me? Um, and the Lord response is, say, I am has sent you, right, I am who I am, and the reality 
is that that, that, is, um, that that Hebrew there can legitimately be translated as a present, I am who I am, or even as a declaration, I will be who I will be. Uh, and, so, and so most English translations do say, I am who I am, but it's an understanding that this is, God is immense, <laughs> right? Um, um, and it's not that God changes, but it's, you know, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Essentially, you can't put me in your little box. Most, I'm not going to let the Hebrews do that like the Egyptians do with their gods, <laughs> right? You can't, we're, we're not playing that game, right? I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Yeah. One in the back. Yeah, that phrase, thank you, the question or mutual glorification, that quote that I just had up here, that comes from uh, John Frame when he says this uh, in his book, The Doctrine of God, the, it, this intra-Trinitarian deference, this disposability of each to the others may be called mutual glorification. That's uh, a phrase that I took from, from him. I'm sure it can be found in in other places <laughs> as well, but yeah. How about one more? One more? Yes. One last? Can, uh, yeah. Yeah, Duncan was uh, really just lamenting that we uh, live in a time when uh, so many leaders have just kind of lost a vision of beauty. And um, I, I think the scripture would tell us that the, the sad thing is we've always been living in that kind of time, right? Mm-hmm. From, from Genesis 3 forward. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things that I'm so excited Erwin has done for us here in just a a few minutes together is to remind us that uh, that's the unfolding story yeah. uh, from Genesis starting with chaos right. and ending with a bride adorned for her, her husband. husband, right? The, the church. Absolutely. Delighting in Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so thank you so much. 100%. And um, we promise <laughs> to forget everything you said <laughs> so that when you tell it to us again tomorrow, <laughs> we'll, we'll treat it like it's all brand new. Okay. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs>